All right. So I'm Rabbi Jonathan Kligler. For those here who haven't met me or I haven't met you before, I look forward to meeting you. Um, uh, Rabia Gentile, mm-hmm. Reverend Matthew Wright, Corona Fudriat, we're all going to introduce ourselves today. Uh, I'm so thrilled that we have this opportunity. We're going to be, however timely this topic was, it's even more timely now. And this is one way for us to contribute to the kind of discourse that we hope characterizes our society and our world. And so this is our small contribution, but this is who we are and this is what we got. And um, we called this course In the Tent of Abraham because if you are or are not aware, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism all trace their spiritual lineage back to Abraham. So we are all, we all see Abraham as our spiritual father. And in the reading of the Torah, which we do uh, um, uh, throughout the year, right now in the Torah cycle, we are right in the middle of, smack in the middle of Abraham's story and Abraham and Sarah's story. So, uh, so that's the title. And we called it The Mystical Heart of Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. We're not here to prove anything, but we do have a shared assumption, which is that the spiritual impulse in human beings is shared across the species. That is our shared assumption. And that culture, which is one of the amazing things that human beings create with great diversity, uh, creates systems for accessing that spiritual awareness based on different cultural languages, norms, uh, stories. That's how human beings work. Just as there's incredible diversity in the universe, there's incredible diversity amongst human beings in the way we manifest culture. But our shared assumption is that uh, underneath all those cultures is a shared impulse towards uh, um, what we call spirit. So uh, um, we don't know exactly where this class is going to go because we we intentionally didn't create a syllabus. Just like when Matthew and I were teaching the Judaism and Christianity class last year called Shared Origins, Different Paths, um, we began the class, and this is what we're going to do today. Um, First, we're going to introduce ourselves, and then we want to hear what everyone's questions are. And we're going to write them all down. And then we'll look them over and see how they fit together and maybe create themes for different classes to explore different sets of questions that come up. So a syllabus will emerge out of what we want to know here. We thought that would be a great way to go since we haven't done this before. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be doing that shortly. Um, Let's see, those were my introductory comments. Um, And what I want to do is um, invite each of us to introduce ourselves, make any introductory comments we want to make, and also, so you know where we're coming from, share a little bit about our own spiritual journey. Um, And uh, that'll be a way to just for you to know who we are a little bit. Uh, I've gotten to know Matthew well. I'm going to get to know Karuna and Rabia 
much better in the course of this uh, course, and I'm thrilled that we get to do this. Um, oh, right. The other thing I wanted to share is uh, that um, I don't know if, uh, if anyone... There are people here who are Jewish, who are actively Jewish. There are people here of Jewish heritage. There are people here who are Christian, who are actively Christian or of Christian heritage. There are people following other paths. Um, we're usually a little short on Muslims in our neighborhood. <laughs> right? Um, so, uh, so that's just the way it is up here. Right? I don't see too many dark-skinned people in the room either. It's like, that's the way it is up here in uh, Woodstock and this part of the Hudson Valley. Uh, for in our circles, so we're going to do our best to represent ourselves, everybody. And uh, fortunately, we have two Sufi scholars and Muslim scholars with us who are going to be able to answer some of our questions. Um, and uh, uh, so, to the extent that we represent a diverse group, which we do, I want to honor us for all being together, willing to explore rather than defend our traditions. And uh, beyond that, may it spread in all kinds of unexpected ways. So um, who, who else wants to, sp who wants to speak next? I do. Good. <laughs> so before we jump into introductions. Oh, by the way, sorry, one other thing, people came late. If anyone's having difficulty hearing, I set the room up over here so that we could take advantage of these speakers. So just, if it's not working without the amplification, We'll use the microphone, okay? Let us know. Hey, everybody. Um, I, I'm slightly hoarse. I did a long uh, retreat and lots of teaching this weekend, and I, I realized my voice is just a little hoarse, um, so uh, bear with me if it sort of cracks and squeaks a little. Uh, last time, so a lot of you participated in the Jewish-Christian dialogue class that we had, <clears throat> that we actually had twice, two series. Uh, and we found increasingly that it was important to begin with some chant and some silence um, and to not let everything be discursive and intellectual, um, but to try to balance those two things. And I don't know about you, but after the events of this past week, I've become profoundly oversaturated um, with talk with reading articles, with Facebook posts. Um, <clears throat> and I've been reminded this weekend, I, I led a retreat this weekend, I was reminded of the deep importance of non-discursive forms of spiritual practice to allow ourselves to be nourished in the silence of our hearts and the silence of our bodies uh, and to let thoughts calm down. Um, I've also felt my heart constricting, um, exploding, contracting, feeling hopeful and radiant and charged and all of these various things. And um, I imagine your hearts have been going through lots of similar things over the last few days. And last year we uh, worked a few times with the chant that had the, the simple words, open my heart. And uh, so some of you will remember it, but I thought before we move into story and sharing that it might be nice to begin with that chant. Good idea. Um, <clears throat> and last year we learned two lines uh, of the chant and then we layered them. And what happens when they're layered, there's a dissonance at the center, at the heart of the chant. 
And um, the dissonance is intentional. And the woman who wrote this chant, Ana Hernandez, who's actually the music director over at St. John's in Kingston right now, um, she, she says that when we hit dissonance musically, we go, oh, something's wrong. We're singing the wrong note. And, and the impulse is to drop the chant, to go, oh, I've messed up. And when we hit dissonance in our lives, we often want to shut down. And the idea here is that when we hit the dissonance, we hold through it so that the heart can open rather than letting the heart snap back shut. Um, <clears throat> so the first line goes like this, simply. Open my heart, open my heart. So try that with me. Open my heart, open my heart, open my heart, open my heart. Beautiful. The second line goes like this. A little more complex. Open my heart. Open my heart. So listen one more time. Open my heart. Open my heart. And join in. Open my heart. Just take a brief moment of silence, and then I'll start that first line, and as you feel moved to add the second one in, uh, do so. And then as the chant dies down, we'll just rest in the resonance, and feel where you feel the chant in your body, the vibration of the chant, and we'll just rest in that silence and then begin. So first, if you want to close your eyes, feel free. And become aware of your breath. And notice the beat of your heart. These two constant reminders of the divine life coursing through us and through the world, the breath and the heartbeat. And let your awareness drop from your mind down into your heart into your chest and into your body. Open my heart. Open my 
And so may this be our prayer for the work we do today and the work we do in the weeks ahead. Um, that we would open our hearts, open the hearts of our traditions, uh, and as we hit dissonance, points of pain, um, the historic wounds our traditions have inflicted on each other, that we would hold through the dissonance, hold through the pain, that something might break open and be born uh, through this work. So, I think the idea now is that we'll share a little bit about ourselves and what brought us to this work, and uh, maybe Rabia or Karuna would initiate the process. I'll start. <laughs> okay. And if you need this, yeah. push that button all the way up. You're on. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, good. Well, um, it's a long journey from being a Methodist <laughs> to my Sufi path, my current Sufi Muslim path. Um, and it led through actually many byways. My ex-husband used to joke um, about my whirlwind tour through the world's great religions. Um, but I think the common thread in it all was a deep, um, I think you should stand up. Oh, a deep longing for um, unity, for um, uh, a deep longing for unity um, and uh, oneness, the experience of being completely um, at one with everything around me, which I think is a seed in all of the great religions. All of the great religions had their mystical paths, and that was just something that was um, I was longing for even as a child. And I can remember first um, I wanted to be a nun. I was raised as a very lukewarm Protestant, but wanted to be a nun. That was the first sort of mystical path I encountered when I was in grade school. Sound of Music um, inspired me. And uh, I don't know if anyone else here had that experience, but um, and. Uh, in high school, I actually went through a Jewish phase. I took a couple of years of Hebrew in high school, and uh, that was a very good way to get my parents completely upset. <laughs> very effective rebellion. Um, and then in my 20s in college, I, um, I did a very large amount of Buddhist meditation in the Vipassana and Zen traditions. I actually did once a nine-month meditation retreat. So I went really very deeply into um, kind of exploring the mind, exploring states of consciousness. And uh, it ended when my money ran out and I, I needed to make a living. And so I became a Waldorf teacher. Uh, I did a Waldorf teacher training and I actually, one of my former students is in the room. <laughs> or, um, yes? A Waldorf? Waldorf teacher. Um, it's, a, it's a form of education that, um, where you take a class through eight years um, and you, um, it emphasizes the arts and also spirituality. And one of the things I loved about being a Waldorf teacher was that I was able to teach about all of the religious paths I had been on. So, um, fast forward, I, Buddhism was a wonderful practice for me, but there was, 
the problem with it for me personally was it's a very easy spiritual uh, practice for a spiritual bypass. I could let go of anything, but there were deep emotional issues that I hadn't really looked at. And so I found myself um, on, on my Sufi path because um, one of the things that was really emphasized in my particular um, Sufi order is really opening the heart and looking at the heart and its longings. And there's a beautiful phrase that a man named Atuno Kane said, Buddhism is spiritual detachment. Sufism is spiritual attachment. attachment. And I really needed to go through that particular um, uh, longing. I needed to open up to those parts of myself. The, um, my particular Sufi order is what's known as a universal Sufi order. Um, it, although its foundations are deeply rooted in Islam, it is not necessary to take shahada to, take, to become a Muslim, to be, be on my particular Sufi path. And in fact, although I sort of knew it in the back of my mind, I didn't even realize that um, it had Islamic roots until one day I was at the abode of the message. And uh, at the abode, you would, might not know in fact, I think I was at a, an Easter retreat at the abode of the message where they were mainly doing um, uh, psych more archetypal work with all of the different elements of the passion story. And I came downstairs, I was helping in the kitchen early in the morning, and a whole bunch of people were um, observing the Ramadan fast, and so they were eating their breakfast before the sun rose. Uh, and, I, and I said, oh yeah, this, is, this has Islamic roots. Um, so I, it was a sort of gradual, as I you know, got more and more deeply into um, Sufism, I gradually learned more and more about the Islamic basis of it. And my own shahada was actually an Ich Ein Berliner moment. I was planning to go to Iran at a time, uh, I think it was 2006 or seven. Uh, I was trying to go with the Fellowship of Reconciliation on a citizen dis di diplomacy trip. And I, um, I was, didn't, we didn't get our visa, so I never went. But at the time, America was threatening to bomb Iran. And I just felt so strongly about this, so strongly about all that I learned about the history of uh, U.S. intervention in Iran that I just, at one point I just said, I'm going to, I'm going to um, put my, um, I, I, I want to stand with the people of, of this country. It's not fair. It's not right. So, um, and I happened to go to the abode on the Mirage of the Prophet, which is a story hopefully we'll share sometime. It's one of the most beautiful stories of the Prophet, peace be upon him. And there's a, there was a young man um, who was in Rabia's order, order, actually, Suki order, who got very excited when he heard I was thinking of taking shahada, and he said, oh, this is the most auspicious time to do it. He sort of swept my, me off my feet. I found myself showering and going to the imam at the abode and taking hand and then saying afterwards, oh my gosh, what did I do? And explain <laughs> what the word shahada means. Shahada means is a simple, it's, 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 
the act that you do when you become a Muslim officially. And it's simply, you state, um, La ilaha illallah, Muhammadan Rasulullah, which means there is no God but God, this is the rough translation, and Muhammad is his prophet. A very simple statement, you say it twice, and that is it. That's all you need to do to become a Muslim. So here, I, there I was, you know, sort of white, <laughs> clearly Protestant background woman who had sort of taken this on, and I really, you know, what 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 is this all about? But over the, over time, as I um, have deepened my my specifically Islamic practices, which most people in my Sufi order don't do, but done the prayer, done the fast. Um, it has really, um, I've, I've just developed this deep love and respect for the tradition. So much so that I, I decided to get a Master's of Divinity at a certain point after my Waldorf career had, I sort of finished a cycle of Waldorf teaching. And so, whoops. Oh, it, it's the microphone. It should come back. Can you, okay. Um, Anyway, I... I no, um, no, put it back on your mouth. Okay. It'll work. All it just right. goes in and out. Some, it okay. Yeah. I'm going to take a drink. Hold on. It mm -hmm. skips out sometimes. We're going to get a new microphone. <laughs> Is it back on? Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Okay. So, I... Um, and I looked all over... I, I checked every single Masters of Divinity program. I decided I wanted to be a, a, hospice, or a hospital chaplain. And I looked at every single program that there were, and there was one program, it was actually a Unitarian Universalist um, program at a place called Star King School for the Ministry in Berkeley. And they had an amazing um, Sufism program. There, the course that caught my eye was actually this sheikh was going to take people to Turkey for the um, death celebration for the poet Rumi. And so that was, that was it. I, that, that was where I was going to go. They luckily also had a distance program. So I was able to do that and keep my homestead and my, my husband and my children at the time. Um, you know, I, I was still able to maintain my life here um, and, and do that. I worked at Albany Medical Center as a chaplain for a year while I was, well, I was in graduate school. And I studied. Um, I was fortunate enough to study um, the Quran with several wonderful Quran teachers, one of whom, um, Amina Wadud, wrote the book on women, women and uh, the Quran. And um, another, another uh, both women, uh, both my Quran teachers were women, and um, just uh, had developed an amazing respect for the text, and particularly for its ecological teachings, which you may probably no one here has ever heard of, except for Matthew, because I gave a talk at his church. But um, it has really inspired me to really change my life and um, to live in a much more sustainable way. So that's one of my um, deep passions is um, sort of the earth-based um, practices that arise out of Quranic wisdom. And uh, 
just also, um, you know, a real love of the Persian poets and of the inspiration of Sufi practice that um, has, you know, kept me going on this path. So. Oh, thank you. thank you. Thank you. So we're going to be learning a lot more about what Sufism is to Islam. But we're just going to hold on to all our questions right now uh, and, and keep... Well, it's like, you know, it's, it, as I've said in other courses, we have a lot of dots to connect, and it takes time. So we'll, we'll be doing it. And I'm sure we'll be asking things over and over again. Ruby, would you, love, would you be able to speak to us? Sure. Hi, everyone. I think it'll be helpful if you stand, because oh. they can't see. Okay. Oh, you brought a drum. I did. I was going <laughs> to sing something for you, but... Um, oh, would you please? Yes. Oh, yeah. So, Sufis are people of tasting, and I especially am somebody who is a person of tasting. I don't really want to talk. I don't really want to sit here and, and talk too much about myself. Um, I'm Rabia, nobody, daughter of nobody. <laughs> and with that, I'll, I'll sing something for you. <laughs> oh, okay. Perfect. <laughs> I will say though, oh, I um, turned it up. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> uh, like Karuna, I um, also um, was very influenced by Persian Sufis. Actually, that's how I ended up uh, entering this path at all, is I met um, an Iranian woman when I was 18 years old, and she uh, introduced me to the Rumi and Hafez and all these amazing Persian poets that you'll hear, I'm sure, a lot about in the coming weeks, because I know that they're very inspiring for me, and that's really how my entry point to this tradition is through um, the love poems of Medlana Rumi um, and all the other amazing mystics. And um, I'm just going to open with a verse in the Quran. It's called um, The Verse of Sincerity. And it speaks about the oneness of God um, and the oneness of all things.
Exactly. We don't know exactly what's going to happen in this story. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> Rabia, is there anything else you want to share with, in any modality right now? <laughs> um, Only if there is. You don't have to. Not. I guess. I guess. Sure. To the point of um, the idea of Sufism versus Islam, um, and whether one can be a Sufi without being a Muslim or a Muslim without being a Sufi. Um, I guess the, the main practice, I mean, a Sufi is essentially a saint. So in the Muslim world, like one doesn't go around saying I'm Sufi in like Turkey or Jordan, because it's basically like saying you're a saint. So you say I'm a dervish, I'm a dervish. I'm, I'm the one that's sitting on the threshold, the dar, the, world, the doorway between the worlds, this world and the next world. So really, that's what one aspires to be, is a dervish, um, a doorkeeper of the heart, one who's waiting, um, waiting for the call of God. And Sufis say that if you take one step towards God, God will come running towards you. So that's what we seek to do, is just to take one more step towards God. And then God always comes running towards us. And that's really the practice. Um, the, the point of the shahada, the la ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, as, as a practicing Sufi, one says that thousands of times per day. So whether or not you consider yourself a Muslim, or you don't consider yourself a Muslim, you're saying it <laughs> thousands of times per day. So um, it's really like, the water that we're swimming in is la ilaha la. There is nothing but God. There is nothing but God. It's all nothingness. There is nothing but God. That's really, that's the water that Sufis are swimming in. Whether you take the Prophet Muhammad as your prophet, or you take the Prophet Jesus as your prophet, I consider myself an Isawi Muslim. 
So Jesus is my, my prophet that guides me. I see him all the time in dreams. He comes and he tells me what to do. So he's my prophet. The prophet Muhammad is also my prophet. But does that make me a Muslim or not a Muslim? Well, <laughs> I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Rubia. <laughs> Uh, did anybody else forget to silence their phones? Sorry. Uh, I, I'm not, I said that in a very nice way. <laughs> I just feel like I have to apologize. So do silence them if you have if you haven't. I'm going to check mine. Yes, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Matthew, do you want to speak to you? Yes. However you feel me. Okay, I'll speak with you. <clears throat> I'll work without the microphone if you can hear me all right. All right, yeah. Okay. You were the boomingest. I know. I was saying before that I don't take credit for this, but when I was a camp counselor and we needed to call someone from the office to come to the phone, they would get me, I could cover the camp. The Jewish saying about turning towards God, Teshuva, is that all you have to do is turn, and no matter how far in exile you've been, God will be right there to meet you, just in the act of turning. Um, so my background is I grew up in an intensely Jewish environment. Um, I went to Jewish parochial schools. My parents, were, my father had been born in Jerusalem. We spoke Hebrew. We made trips to Israel. I had a, I had a, my world was my school and my synagogue. That was my world growing up, except for the kids on the block that I played with, who were a whole mixture, you know. Um, and uh, so it's just, that's my cultural foundation and language. And in my, um, I was always a seeker. And in my uh, 20s, I explored a lot. And by the end of that decade, um, I hadn't decided, but I was called to study to become a rabbi. It was, you're going to do this. And I didn't, that was the, so that's what you call a calling. Um, I didn't have the vocabulary for it back then, but I understand that now. Um, um, as I've, over the decades, integrated. I grew up religious, but not um, uh, understanding religious language. Right? I just knew all the prayers, if you know what I mean. So as, as an adult, I've come to understand spiritual terminology. I can, I can, I can post-date it on my experience. Say, oh, well, I could call that that now. And in becoming a rabbi, I chose to go to the rabbinical school that, my, that was the um, approach to Judaism that my parents had raised me in, which is called Reconstructionist Judaism, and is... And, in, and intentionally open-ended evolutionary approach to Judaism, embracing the idea of universalism and particularism at the same time and doing that dance as your sacred activity, the dance of living a Jewish life open to the world and embracing change as it appears. Right? So that's my path, which puts me again in a position to be interested in all of this, right? Because, and what, however, uh, so I should say, but growing up, I never went to a church. You don't go to churches, you know. 
And a mosque, it was like in the suburbs of Westchester, it was like, you know. So all of that was completely alien to me, and I was raised to defend ourselves, right? Uh, you know, in the debates going back hundreds and thousands of years about who did it first and who did it better, it was my job to win that debate, right? Um, so that I could justify my existence as a Jew. And that's what a lot of interfaith discourses have been over the centuries. Uh, they can be cordial or violent, but they're all about showing why you're right. Um, as uh, I, in rabbinical school, we had courses in Christianity and we had courses in Islam. Uh, and uh, they... Um, made a little impression, you know, because it's a whole other symbol system and history and what, and it's like I was just learning mine. Uh, but I have a little foundation. Um, and uh, what I want to say in brief is that the older I get, the less I care about boundaries. Um, it, that doesn't mean I don't care about being Jewish as passionately as I ever did. But the boundaries just... I'm telling you, I, if it keeps going this way, I'm very happy because openness is my, what I want to do. And that's not like letting, as, as people will complain about this, it's not that your mind's so open that your brains fall out on the floor. That's not what we're talking about. It's about openness in terms of what I'm not in control of. I know where I stand but I'm not in control of where we're going. And so that's my commitment. And uh, that, makes, that makes me, I'm very curious also, and that's part of my personality. And so it's great to be curious about everything. I really like that. So I, am, I get to now operate from a place of fullness as a Jew and openness to what's around me. And, I'm, and that's, that's what's going on. So. What I wanted to share is that teaching with Matthew last year and the interfaith discussions with clergy that Susan, uh, Susan, where are you saying? That Susan organized started getting, I was ready to actually ask all the questions I wanted to ask about Christianity. And I'm fully aware of the intense resistance I also have to Christianity, right? Because do I need to explain <laughs> history? Um, uh, Most of us Christians are fully aware of the resistance we have to Christianity, too. So. Right. <laughs> but acknowledging the resistance, I'm not very interested in it anymore. I'm just not that interested in it anymore. It has to be acknowledged, or we're, we're, just, we're just talking bullshit here. But beyond acknowledgement... Clarity that, yeah, that was, that was, that's going on. We don't have to play that way, right? So I'm watching, and each of us will watch our bodies and what we do, you know, you know, and then, then take note, because, in fact, no one's in danger in this room, right? Um, for Islam, I have had very little contact. I've read um, stuff, you know, I've talked to... It's pretty, and I also, and I know something about Islam in terms of um, introduction, you know, the uh, introduction to Islam 101. It's like I've taken that course more than once. Um, and that's useful. But 
this, I don't know anything, you know, and my resistance and prejudices are very present there also. I want to acknowledge my resistance and my prejudices, but I'm just not interested. I'll say them out loud when I need to, but I'm just not interested in that being a barrier anymore to me finding out everything I want to find out about the world and making connections with everyone I want to connect with. So that's kind of, I wanted to explain that to you. Um, this isn't, this isn't, um, as you, this isn't about trying to leapfrog over all that stuff so we can all like um, be happy together. Kumbaya, right? Um, it's about acknowledging it, but not letting it stop us from our inquiry. Okay? So that's what I want to share about my journey to this point. And once, once I had started to actually like, get a grasp of what uh, um, being a practicing Christian means to the practicing Christians I've gotten to talk to, what it does for them, what their relationship is to the tradition and to Jesus and to God. It's like, oh, now I want to hear from Muslims too uh, and from Sufi practitioners. So uh, I'm very eager uh, for this. Uh, I've been waiting, waiting. So, uh, so that's what I wanted to share for starters. If you need Thank that. Thank you. Well, maybe. Okay. Is that on? It's not. Is yeah, it? It is. it is? Okay. Um, so, how many of you were here in the. How many of you weren't here in the other classes? Okay. Oh, good. So wow. Got, wow, okay. wow, wow. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> Um, just thinking about some of the phrases Jonathan just said, um, that we don't want our minds to be open, that it's so open that our brains fall on the floor. I want our minds to be so open that our brains fall into our hearts. Oh, uh, let's practice. And, um, and this talk of not having boundaries, there's a big difference between roots and boundaries. And we can have deep roots without having boundaries, hard and fast boundaries. And, and that's the kind of approach I would like us to learn to take to our traditions. How do we root ourselves in these beautiful lineages and draw sustenance um, from them um, without putting walls up in the process? <clears throat> because the walls aren't necessary to be fed, the roots are. Um, and so, for me, revelation um, is a vast universal tapestry that includes every current of spiritual life in, in the planet and in the body of the human family. And so um, there is a universal stream of prophecy and revelation that flows through the Abrahamic family of religions, um, through Abraham, through Jesus, through Muhammad. Uh, and we can root ourselves in one current or the other. Uh, and that tapestry of revelation, of course, includes Buddhism, of course, includes Hinduism, and of course, includes indigenous and native traditions. It includes all of human spiritual longing and striving. Um, so that for me is a starting point, um, that all of it belongs. And uh, my own story is, is having grown up in a Christian tradition, a Protestant and charismatic or Pentecostal Christian tradition. Um, so, so lots of hands in the air and speaking in tongues, uh, no snake handling, so I never got to encounter that. But a very charismatic, sort of energized expression of Christianity. And I struggled with it because it became very, uh, I became aware that it was deeply anti-intellectual um, during my high school years. 
And so I was struggling with a, a tradition that was telling you you can't believe in evolution and um, reading Harry Potter is of the devil and you know these kinds of things. So um, late in high school, I was introduced to contemplative spirituality uh, through a high school teacher who somehow in Southern Baptist, Western, small town North Carolina, was a devotee of Paramahamsa Yogananda, <laughs> uh, Indian Vedanta lineage. <clears throat> and she uh, was the first person to ask me if I thought God was within me um, and to introduce me to um, mindfulness and contemplative practices. So that was a huge opening. And uh, I stopped along with my parents attending the church I'd grown up in during my high school years. There was a a split within the congregation, falling out around the minister, and um, you know people left. And at first, I was happy to be outside of a traditional religious box in that way. But pretty quickly, I realized that my spiritual yearning wanted community and container and language and fellowship. And so I started uh, church shopping, borrowing my parents' car and driving to various churches. And I walked into an Episcopal church for Thursday evening prayer for um, vespers. Uh, one evening, and had my Bible under my arm, and the Episcopalians all pulled out their prayer books, um, which of course, uh, people in the Jewish tradition are very familiar with prayer books as well, but the Protestant tradition isn't. Uh, so, uh, I joined in with these people in this rhythm of prayer, and then went out to dinner with this group of strangers, and they were so warm and welcoming that I came back the next week, and the next week, and then came on a Sunday, and the uh, the priest was an amazing um, priest and drew me in more. And so when I went off to college, I uh, and we're over back. I continued exploring Anglicanism and the Episcopal Church. And at the same time, I was interested in um, through that Episcopal tradition. It, it's connected still to the Catholic tradition um, more than most Protestant traditions are. And so through that Catholic tradition, I discovered the saints and mystics of the Christian tradition. Um, Protestants tend to jump from Jesus and the apostles and bypass about 1,500 years and go straight to Martin Luther. Uh, so I reclaimed that first thousand years of Christian history and flourishing and um, a deep mystical contemplative lineage. So I, I was interested in working to renew that. And that set me on a path towards um, discerning ordained ministry within the church. And uh, I started realizing, well, how can you teach and renew a contemplative tradition without being mentored and formed in it? Books only take you so far. And I started looking for teachers and mentors, and I found that they weren't very accessible within the Christian tradition. Um, uh, a priest with a three-year professional degree is different from uh, an elder, a mystic, a contemplative you know, a mentor. And so I actually began looking to other traditions and did find my way um, some years later. Um, just after college, I encountered a Sufi community for the first time. It was a Rafai circle, so a Turkish order, and uh, found this beautiful merging of the contemplative practices I was learning through centering prayer in the Christian tradition, through Zen meditation and the Buddhist tradition. But in those traditions, contemplation looked like you know, sitting very still uh, in the lotus position. In Sufism, I was with a circle of people who were chanting, la, la, illa, la, there is no God but God, and then illa, la, only God, only God. So it was this deep mystical tradition that was warm and embodied and um, uh, 
And it was almost a fusion of the charismatic energy I had encountered as a child and the contemplative energy that I encountered um, in the Christian mystical tradition. And so in seminary, I found mentors uh, in Islam and in Sufism. And uh, so that also has been a real current in my own spiritual life as I felt called at the same time to serve uh, within my Christian tradition and to have my roots in that soil. Uh, so I very comfortably say, La ilaha illallah Muhammadan Rasulallah. Um, seeing Muhammad as one more messenger in that universal stream of prophecy um, while serving through the form that I serve through. Um, so that's a little bit of, of my story. Um, and, and today I'm really blessed to be doing work um, in this Christian contemplative lineage, retreat work and uh, teaching around that. So, and I'm at St. Gregory's right down the road here. <laughs> so that's me. Thank you. So I think we, I'll turn it over to Jonathan. Okay, well, I just want, either of you have anything you want to add uh, right now? Okay, just want to make, just want to make sure. So I want to say again, it is such a fraught moment around Islam and the West right now. So, right? In every tradition, whether it's Hindu nationalists, Islamic nationalists, Jewish fundamentalist nationalists, Christian fundamentalist nationalists, you can take your spiritual heritage and use it as a weapon, right? You can celebrate death instead of life. You can, we humans can do anything with anything, right? It's all true. One of the blessings of growing up in the United States for me is that I didn't have to grow up in an environment that was rigidly segmented like that. And I uh, value that deeply and glad that we get to continue that inquiry. So my, our question is, what do you want to know? <laughs> We're going to write down things. Yes, Beth. Yeah. Um, as American-born uh, people, uh, the uh, two lovely ladies uh, who've taken on the tradition of uh, Islam and Sufism, <coughs> you're not you're not based in in the Middle Eastern conflict between, uh, unfortunately and sadly, <coughs> Muslims and Jews. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming you're not, and I'm trying to form my question. Actually, my mm -hmm. question was forming before I started talking, mm -hmm. and now it's a little bit lost. But it's okay. Uh, how how do you then relate to your uh, Muslim brothers and sisters in the Middle East who do have terribly deep prejudices that many Jews in the Middle East do, and in fact, as many people in this culture do? Uh, does that, how does that affect you, or how does it... Uh... So a question to address, uh, uh, if I was going to condense that, but don't correct Please. me if I'm off. No, 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 it's a great question, is can we address the sweep of the Muslim world as one of our first questions? Do you know what I mean? So that 
because if there are over a billion Muslims in the world, then there's going to be a lot of Muslim subcultures and a lot of different versions of Islam. Right? Can we talk some about that to, together? I think that's, I mean, for me, that's a crucial piece. I mean, we, we do not look like what everyone's uh, Im image of Muslims are. Mm -hmm. And um, so <clears throat> I, think that's, I think that's crucial. Which Islam are we talking about? Mm. Oh, I'm going to write that down. Which Islam? Yeah. Yeah. Which, because I say that about Judaism, too, sometimes. Yeah. There are Judaisms. We all, sh Judaism, all the Judaisms share a lot of common features, but there are definitely Judaisms in the world. Which Islam are we talking about? And then the next question, which would relate to uh, people of any faith, is how do you relate, how, how do you relate to the other versions of your tradition? Why is everybody so angry? I'll write that down. <laughs> How do you relate to the other versions of your tradition? Good. And why are we all so angry? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why are we all so angry? <laughs> But I said we, everybody. Yes, Michael. So I think this, this question is, is, is even more complex than the fact that, that we need to deconstruct the cultural, the political, and the religious because Islam today cannot, or Judaism cannot be taken in any context unless it's in a cultural Okay. Context, political context, because the Islam that we hear about through Donald Trump and friends is through a very certain type of Islam, very certain type of culture, with a very certain political perspective, which even the word uh, Islamic terrorism doesn't even get close to really cutting to where it is. The same thing with Judaism, and the same thing with Christianity. Christianity in the context of Bosnia, is very, very different than Christianity in the context of France. And so I, I kind of like this, this issue that I'm very curious about, but I'm very um, reluctant to engage because I don't know if that's possible. And Can that's we tease out <coughs> principles of faith separate from culture? And uh, that's one way of expressing, uh, is it possible? Political and culture. Political and cultural. Is it possible to, I'll just use the word tease out because that's what came to mind right now, to kind of titrate, to do, the, do whatever we have to do. Uh, um, the central principles of our tradition, our tradition, our traditions, um, uh, uh, separate from political and cultural, context. from the political and cultural context, correct. Thank you for expressing that. Thank you. Uh, yes, what's your name? Jenna. Jenna? 
Jeddah. Jeddah. About the relationship between prayer and violence. Oh, mm-hmm. the relationship between prayer and violence. The alchemy of prayer and how how is it possible to have violence come from that? Whether it's Islam, Christianity, Judaism, how how can that even be possible? Prayer and violence. How can one lead to the other? <coughs> How could they coexist? Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Martha. Given the um, constraints of the political, cultural context, I would like to know more about Islam and women. Yes, yes and we have a couple of experts here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Islam and women, um, uh, and by extension, let's talk about Judea- Judaism and Christianity and women That's as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, women. Yeah. Women. Yeah. women. Yeah. Right. And I want to be very conscious, and as most of you know I am, about not hogging this conversation either. <laughs> um, uh, I'm pretty good at it. Gail? I think the first two questions, and maybe this last one, because I can't see what you wrote. Down here? No, the first two. And the, right. Which Islam are we talking about? Right. And how, do, how, how do you relate to right. the other versions of your tradition? I, I think we need to do the same for clarifying for Christianity and Judaism. Oh, this one was, um, okay, so, so which, which Islam? Oh, which Christianity, Islam? Judaism. Yeah. Christianity, yeah. thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and Judaism are we talking about, and the same then goes down to there. And I couldn't see the last question on women who included Christianity. Yes, I did. Yes, yes. 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 Just couldn't see. Yeah. Good, good. Uh, yes, Bob. It seems to me that if you're going to be religious and believe in the, the books that dictate the religion, all of them seem to say, this is the only one, this is the only God, You'll only have to recognize me, nobody else. And that makes all the rest wrong. Or makes mine, when you believe in yours, if I have a strict one, it makes mine not as good. So I want to destroy you. Because I think that's, if you believe fervently in Shall we say, the problem of monotheism? Or or the foundations (laughs) of religious exclusivism. Or or the problems with the the text, too. Uh Difficulties with our sacred texts. Difficulties. I always say half the job of a preacher is working to clean up the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Difficulties with our sacred texts. How do you clean up the basics of the religion? Um, That's right. How do we we take pre-modern... Exclusivist traditions and make them more universal. Or even make sense. (laughs) Well, friends, I've obviously, oh, who said that? Uh, Well, um, obviously, we. 
That's the game here. You know, anybody who's part of this synagogue is here because they think somehow there's, uh, there's value in our ancient tradition, despite some of its claims that don't measure up anymore to our modern understanding of the universe. So it's not a zero-sum game, everybody. Uh, let's see, how do we make... Okay. You left out the word take. Take, thank you. We'll be doing that. Um, good, good, good. Yes? Yeah, um, this sort of relates to the, the first uh, question about what Islam, Christianity, Judaism are we talking about. I think in terms of Christianity, it's the dominant religion in this country, and everybody has certain perceptions about it. But certainly in the Middle East, it's a minority religion, has a very different um, part of the society. We don't understand that, and it's kind of a tragedy. So is there something you want me to write about about that, or do you I just want to make that comment? Yeah. Thank um, you. Just that religions have different places and different cultures and have a different meaning and, and hierarchy in that culture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes? If you ask for much more, you see what I find most interesting is, you know, it's finding out other answers to the questions I walked in the door here for. In other words, I, it's not that am I going to be tolerant for someone else's religion. What I want to know is, I'm seeking like my own spirituality, mm -hmm. and what do you have to teach me? Great, great. <laughs> How does your tradition feed your spiritual growth, and what can we learn from each other? Yeah, I mean, and, and there are variations to this. How do I? What's important to know? How do I know what I know? How do I experience the divine in the real? Right, right. Right, our intention is to head right there. Okay. And in order to do that, we may need to examine some political and cultural assumptions, and we also might need to know right, about the, the way each tradition approaches um, this. Uh, um, so, uh, but I want to write that down because that's very important to all of us, I think. Uh, if I remember what I said. <laughs> and what you said, which is, what can we learn from each other's traditions? <clears throat> and this is certainly what motivates from each other's traditions. about, I'm going to use the word God, okay? Of uh, God slash spirituality, the big questions. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Um, uh, Jerome? Uh, I had always heard that people in Islam regarded Muhammad as their prophet. And this was the first I had ever heard of somebody in Islam who looked to Jesus as their prophet. And I'd like to know more about that. How does, how does Islam approach all the prophets? Is that a good way of saying it? Because that's an important part of Islam. Yeah. You, want to address, you want to say something about that right now? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> actually, um, there's all different forms of Islam. There's... there's uh, um, I mean, Muslims that follow Moses, Jesus. There's different Muslims that feel um, there. It's sort of Ibn Arabi, who is a uh, a Sufi saint and scholar, speaks a lot about this. And I'll bring in some of 
the texts that he where he kind of explains what this means. But um, as Bruno was mentioning with the mirage, the Prophet Muhammad met with these prophets, all the different prophets, um, in a sort of visionary realm that we don't really understand. Um, and learn from all of them. So there's streams of thought in Islam that comes from the different prophets. Okay. So we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll flesh that out more as we go. I also want to say that um, the Islam recognizes all of the prophets in the um, Torah, and as actually mentions the Torah and the Gospels by name in the text of the Quran. And um, acknowledges their validity and um, acknowledges that their their prophetic um, truth. And the so, and, and teaches that a true the, the Quran says that a true Muslim is not to make any distinction between any of the prophets. There's to be no distinction distinction made between them. Well, that would be interesting to talk yeah. about. Yeah. I didn't mean to. No, no, no. Good. No, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, that's Carol, I'll get to everybody. I promise. So that to get to any of these questions, I need um, Islam 101. Okay. Yeah. Good idea. My thinking was that our first, Matthew can't be here the next couple of weeks. Susan Ockenkloss is going to sit in. But my thinking was for our group that we might want to start our syllabus with, like, so give us, the, give us our basic vocabulary. Yeah, and pillars we'll, of Islam. Yeah. So Islam 101, I'm just going to write that down. And it's okay with me if we spend uh, the first chunk of the course just getting our vocabulary in line so that we can have intelligent conversations. You know? and, so, and then, it's also my hope after this course is over, that if we decide to go for uh, 102, we'll, uh, we'll be able to. You know? So uh, I'll keep going around. Yes, what's your name? Um, Julia. Julia. Um, so I'd like to know about uh, mysticism traditions. The uh, mystical traditions. Have them all next to each other. The three. Mm. And I guess you could say similarities and differences, but just kind of also the experience of having them all mm. next mm. to each other. Mm -hmm. um, but then also about the place of mysticism in the different traditions. Um, uh, because at least right. with Christianity, what I've encountered is it's, has, it's just... It's like buried or something. I don't know. It's, it's really hard to understood. Find. The mystical and he, traditions and, and their place. Yeah. In their larger con in their larger scope. Yes. Yeah. In their larger so Yeah, I know what I mean. Okay, I'll remember. Cool. Thank you so much, Jasmine. Oh, and then Arnie. Um, Okay, I would like to know about sexuality and sensuality in the religious tradition. Whoa, cool. <laughs> sexuality and sensuality, and that's of course... And turn on, you know, like I'm very turned on by the divine. And, you know, I'll love you know. Okay, so love of God as erotic, yeah. There's lots of Christian bridal chamber mysticism, it's called. <laughs> oh yeah, there's X, there's X-rated stuff in the Kabbalah all over the place. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Did you hear that? Fifty Shades of the Tent of a in the Tent of Abraham. All right, that's the title. That's gonna get a lot more people. <laughs>
Arnie. I would like each of the participants <clears throat> to defend the statement, my religion has made the world a better place. Oh. I would hope we could all come from non-defensive, non-apologetic <laughs> positions, but... How has my tradition contributed to the world? Yeah. To make it a better place. That's, that's a different, yeah. Contributed to make the world a better place. Now, that's interesting because in the Middle Ages, books were written such as, uh, in the Jewish tradition, Judah Halevi's uh, Kuzari, which are these imagined discourses in front of a king by an Islamic scholar, a rabbi, and a Christian scholar, all because the king is debating which re religion to convert to, all trying to show why theirs is the most valid uh, expression. And uh, again, that's an ancient tradition. Then there's the jokes about the Pope and the Jewish guy having a, you know, there's all kinds of stuff like that. So, okay, good. Um, Karen. Going a little bit with Matthew's inclination a little bit, I would love to have a day of storytelling. Where, you know, since the, um, you know, the Tent of Abraham, or the Tent of Abraham and Sarah is our kind of rubric, to have each person tell the story of Abraham. Ooh, ooh. Wow. Can I start with that? What if we told the story of Abraham as our traditions? Oh, that's really rich. We were talking a little bit about, in my class, Torah study class last week, about how depending on which era of Judaism you're studying, Abraham has different qualities that get elaborated on. So uh, that's really great. Tell the story of Abraham from your tradition. Add more stories after that, right? Because... What if we told the story of Yusuf? Uh, you know, Joseph is prominent in the Quran, and certainly what, what do our traditions make of these stories? Because the Quran takes so many of the biblical stories and tells versions of them. That's, that's correct, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Tell the story of Abraham, and it'll be very important to talk about Abraham and Isaac versus Abraham and Ishmael. And we'll be talking about that. Tell the story of Abraham, from your tradition. Thanks, Karen. I think that's a really fertile way to uh, engage this stuff. Since Christians and Jews have the same version of the story, <laughs> the same scripture, I mean. Not a yeah. whole lot of variation there, but... Then we certainly can, in that case, in that case, situation, something I'm very loath to do, usually talk about a Judeo-Christian tradition, you know, in, in contrast to Islamic tradition. I, I don't like the way Judeo-Christian has been used in general, but in that case, there's some validity to it. Um, maybe. Uh, uh, yes, Sharon. Um, something Matthew said about you went along and then you wanted it to be, to be able to find an intellectual way to understand your religion. And my question isn't formed exactly, but it's something like, there's a part of you're born into a religion, and so you're almost like you have a perception or a brainwashing or a sort of view of things. And in history, religion was always, you know, like repeat, 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 watch, do the ritual, do the ritual, do the ritual. 
And somehow the intellectualizing of that, us even having this discussion, is sort of outside to, I don't understand where that and religion Okay, well, I think you need to, sorry, Matthew, did you want to, she just, no, go ahead. okay, religion and culture are all mixed together here. We get it through our mother's milk, right? We, our culture is, is known in our muscles. It's something we embody, literally, the way we stand, the way we talk, the way we re relate to the world. So, uh, and then, um, uh, so, so I, wouldn't, I wouldn't isolate that as religion. Right, because it's, it's everything we grew up with, um, and uh, then Matthew was growing up, as he said, in an anti-intellectual environment, and and but had a searching intellect. But I think religion is sort of opposite of intellectualism. That's your prejudice, <laughs> and uh, that I can guarantee you that that's a prejudice, a prejudice based on my study. I'm sorry. No, 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 Sharon. I'm not being hard on you. I'm just saying I hear you. And that's a prejudice that can you could be disabused of if you study uh, any of our traditions well, extensively. Well, maybe the question is, what is the um, relationship between intellectual study and, and, and religious and practice? Religious practice. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And there's Thank a you. highly intellectual component to all of these traditions. They've all developed elaborate theologies and cosmologies and written texts yeah. and, and systematic theology. So there's you know deep intellect in all of the traditions, deep mystical encounter in all of the traditions, deep devotional practice and experience in all of the traditions. You know, these are all just different right. threads that make up the whole. Karun, would you say that one more time? What is the relationship between intellectual... In intellectual, or in, 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 intellectual uh, study... Inquiry. Study, inquiry and practice. And religious, practice, and religious practice. I'd say spiritual or religious practice. And devotional. Religious, I'll use the word devotional, devotional practice in all traditions. What a great question. Thanks for bearing with me, Sharon. That's a really important question, I understand. And I have to just add. Just one sec, one, just, what, one, one sec, one sec. Uh, in uh, uh, these traditions. All of our questions, most of our questions are pertaining to all three. Uh, and you wanted to add? I just want to add that because I don't know much about all of them, I do feel like if I say anything, I might step on someone's toes mm. or give me a head of time. <laughs> Thank you so much. I want to share that speaking as a person who straddles two worlds, I'm a passionate secularist. I love intellect. I, I, I like reading scholarship and I politics. And, I, and as someone who's also passionately religious, um, I have all that going on in my own head. But one of the things that secularists, which are most of us, don't, are unaware of is our prejudices against religious practice that we don't know or understand. Mm -hmm. So we should be aware of them in terms of carrying our assumptions into this discussion unevaluated. So the best stance, therefore, for me always, is hum humility and curiosity. What is a secularist? A secularist is someone whose religion is, religion is bad. <laughs> That's not exactly true. Uh, uh, if they're a strict, well, they're fundamentalist secularists, and they are, but, but, I, but having done this for 30 years, I have to wade through people's prejudices about Judaism for them to understand that there's something of value here. 
That's what I'm referring to. And so I've had this conversation many times. Well, maybe your assumptions aren't 100% reality. Maybe there are other ways to approach it. So I'm just saying, let's be humble and curious together. That's all. And Sharon, I appreciate the way you said that. Yeah. If we call each other out on prejudices, we don't necessarily mean the word pejoratively, like you're a bigot. Right. Prejudice just in the objective sense that we have. Prejudgment. Yeah, we have assumptions and you know prejudices that are, we're yeah. blind to. Assumption is a more neutral word. Assumptions, thank you. <laughs> I wanted to say that um, it's possible also that I, Karuna and I can draft up like a little packet of like glossary terms mm-hmm. and the basics of the small model line. Because I, I, yeah, I get called into colleges all the time to like give a small model one kind of quick. So I have that readily available. Excellent. Hand out to everybody. And, because I know it's challenging, and especially because um, I'm kind of like deep into a mystic path, so I might start going off in like some other direction. Where you guys are going to be like, what is she talking about? So I'm going to make sure I put in the basics of, you know, Sufism and mystical Islam as well in there. So you, when I say something, you're just not like, what? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, Jay? Yeah, a, a question. Yeah, a question I have um, that that um, cuts through a lot of other questions on the board, like one question one and question two about the prayer and violence, is the interpretation. How do the different religions interpret their scriptures or their Bible or Torah in terms of do they look at it literally, or do they, which was certain sects do, or they look at it as metaphors? Right. Some sense of the demographics of that. Mm. Oh, right. gosh. Maybe. Yeah. And this goes back to. In this room, we probably have a sense of it. I don't think there's many fundamentalists in this room. Well, but there's fundamentalism in, in all of us. Well, but anyway, Jay's question is good. Yeah. yeah. Jay's question is good. The literal interpretation. This is what I always struggle with. Mm-hmm. I always look for the metaphor as opposed to the literal historical right. interpretation. So maybe the different religions have a different take on that. Well, uh, once again, we'll have to say, I think it may be fair to say that there's different versions of Judaism, different yeah. versions of Christianity, right. and different versions of Islam. Exactly. And uh, uh, which one do we want to kind of, which one among us do we want to privilege? Because uh, we don't have much control over the larger picture, but I hear you. Um, how do we interpret? I think the question is... Yeah, how, how, how does each tradition interpret their scripture? And we have traditional frameworks that for understanding how to interpret the scriptures. So we can look at uh, what some of the traditional... Understand uh, and interpret their scripture and, uh, let me get that, interpret their scripture and what are the traditional frameworks of interpretation? Hermeneutics. Yeah. <laughs> a word I still don't understand. <laughs> I look it up every time. Yeah. Okay, I can read my own handwriting. All right. I don't want to write on the wall. All right. Um, let's keep going. So I have a wondering, and I have a longing. And the wondering is we talk about the dilemma of women in you know, Islam and Christianity and Judaism, and I'm wondering why women came into the tent of Abraham. 
and if there's some thought about the consciousness of women when we got absorbed within a patriarchal yeah. religious format. Mm -hmm. So that's a wondering, mm -hmm. a longing for me here, and it could totally be after listening to you, um, Radia Singh, is um, the longing would be, is there a way we could share the way in which music leads us mm -hmm. to certain places in each Oh other? boy. Yeah, we want to do that. I can, I can speak for all of us. <laughs> Place of music in our in our spiritual tradition. And 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 journey. Mm -hmm. And also movement. Yes. yes. Music yes. and yes. movement. Yes. Thank you, because the Sufis certainly provide a lot for us in that regard, in our spiritual journey. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Susan. Experientially to that as well, it would be lovely to be able to do a little singing and dancing and movement. Oh, I meant it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I want to get rid of the tables and move the chairs right. into a big circle. We'll, we'll have our days for that. Don't worry. Yeah, experientially. But I have something else that I... Hold I'm on, i got to write that okay. down. Okay. Experiential... Whirling. Uh, you, you want to whirl? We we'll whirl. We whirl. <laughs> Uh, learning, experiential learning. We're going to do it. And of course, no one has to participate. You can watch us. So what, what yeah. was really helpful last time was we got some quotes yeah. that were very difficult yes. for us to reckon with from um, the Christian Bible and from the Torah. Mm -hmm. And that kind of gets to the difficulties with our sacred texts mm -hmm. to really wrestle with what's in there and how do we still stay attached to our religions mm -hmm. when all of that is in there and and do we change it which is something I think Susan is is interested in or how do we live with it wrestling with difficult texts mm -hmm. my suggestion about that is that we put that later in the syllabus uh, once we have more of a shared vocabulary about yeah. understanding our, each other's traditions, yeah. then you can start tackling some yeah. of those more thorny things, yeah? Yeah. Good, good, good. Yes, friend. Um, through the Islam 101 and the story of Abraham and almost all of this, there's common ground um, between the three, between Islam, mm -hmm. uh, between Judaism, Christianity. I think that if we focus on common ground as we move through it, it would really be helpful. Thank you. I think that's a great idea. What is the common ground that we can claim together in our, from our tradition? Thank you so much. Yes, um, for me, um, thank you. For me, if I can put the higher, the justifying and defending, well, ours is better because, or this is special about us, aside for a while and say, oh, we do it this way. How do you do it? Oh, and have that conversation. I think that'll be much more fruitful uh, for our, our exploration together. Uh, Lori? Death, afterlife, and 
And then again, that relates to which Islam, which Judaism, which Christianity, because different people and all those think different things about all of those. But this does get us into an area like, so what happens in an what happens in a funeral in the Islamic yeah. tradition? Oh, right. our, what happens? Liturgies. You know, our, what do we do? How do we view the body? How do we view mm -hmm. the soul? I want to talk about that. That's really interesting. Uh, Babs and then Karen and then Ruth. Yeah. Um, why? Why? As uh, why in Judaism are we not able to integrate the idea of Jesus as a prophet, not as the Son of God, but as a prophet? Because if we don't do that, we have a, a, an enormous separation and uh, and you know. I, I know Jewish people are honestly afraid of seeing the cross or will not sleep in a room. Right, and you understand why. And, and you understand why that's so. The history of Christian, the history of Christian anti The Holocaust. Let's talk that's about why. the Holocaust. Can we each find our way beyond the terror? That is a more generous way that's of saying it. That's what we. That's what we spent. That that's what our class doing. last year was about. And uh, so the question, expanding that to all three traditions, is: uh, What hinders us from accepting the the validity of each tradition? The, the notion of a prophet who is a Jewish guy named Jesus, without without going further to, to the uh, Son of God. Or to see yes. Muhammad as standing in the tradition of biblical prophecy as a Jew as well. Right. So, okay. can we come up with a new story that incorporates all of our prophets? <laughs> and is that the Islamic story? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I often, I often, um... Do you want to say something about that? I often um, tease my husband, because my husband's born Muslim, he's from India. No. And um, and I often say, you know, because he's like, I don't understand. I mean, we accept all the prophets of the Muslim, of the Jews, and the Christians. Why don't they accept us? You know. And I say, well, because you're the new kid on the block, and you're like claiming everybody else's prophet and saying they're my prophet too. But like, people don't really want you to do that. You know. So it's kind of funny. I'm always like trying to explain that to him. Like, you know. Got, you know, like, yeah, you're the latest version, but, like, you know, not everybody wants you to claim their profits. <laughs> right. Good. 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 Very good. Very good. Kathy. Oh, you're both Kathy. <laughs> Kathy and then Kathy. Thank uh, My question is, how can I accept any religion when the millions and billions of people have just been slaughtered by every religion, and it goes on today. And How can you also accept nationalism and capitalism in that case? How do we deal with what happens in religion's right. name of the Religious violence? violence. How can I accept any religion? How do we address the reality of religious violence. <laughs> How can I be a religious person and embrace any religion when that goes on in its name? Without being politically correct. How can I... Yes, it's a good question. Uh, 
It's a great question. How can I be a religious person with that reality? With that as part of reality? Just one second, Michael. Yeah, oh, thank you so much. Uh, related to that, Michael? Yeah, yeah, related to that. Um, and it's related to a lot of questions, but particularly that question. One of the things that I've been in dozens of interreligious um, dialogues. All over the world and, he has. And they like to open it, oh, we're all the same. And that doesn't turn me on, and I don't think it's real as, as well. Right. So he said, all the religions killed. Well, my experience as a Jew is that I've been killed by many religions. It's true that 3,000 years ago in the biblical thing, it says that we killed people. I don't remember that at all. What I remember <laughs> is we've been picked on in every neighborhood we've been. And I'm not saying that's valid or not valid, but that's my, my truth. And when somebody says, we're all the same, I don't feel good. That doesn't make me feel better. That makes me feel like people are whitewashing to me. Right. So it I think there needs to be some real politique instead of politically correctness. Yeah. And mm -hmm. in these kind of forums, it's really nice to be kumbaya. And I'm not saying that's not a good thing. But I also don't want to pretend that there's not real problems right. going on on the ground. And the kumbaya here in Woodstock doesn't really contribute to our understanding of that. What we did last year, we worked to build a container of trust in the group before we tackled those questions. And then we went head on into Christian anti-Semitism um, and the whole history of... of of pain and violence. Um, and so we, we definitely in this course don't want to deny the particularity, the unique histories, and also the, the, the pain of each tradition. We want to look at it head on. But first, like, we'll, we'll ease our way towards that. Yes, rather we're than, not going to address yes. that before we have covered a lot of ground of not how we're all the same, but what do our traditions share, and then how do they express those, and then where do they differ? And then once we've built that up, we can, uh, I feel like we'll be able to have intel more intelligent conversations. Uh, but no, none of us here want to dance around that, and I'm not, uh, I, we hear you. So uh, I, I, let, that be, let that be a given, Michael. And you can express it any time if we're getting too, uh, too uh, vanilla. <laughs> I didn't forget. I actually had a question very similar to the first Kathy. Which, and one that I've, I've struggled with through my whole adult life is how do we deal with the violence that is inherent in our scripture? On the one hand, Judaism and Christianity both talk about thou shalt not kill, and yet dive in just a half a deep deal, a half a step deeper. And how do we deal, you said it perfectly clearly, with the violence in our scripture? The violence contained within our scripture? I'm, I'm, I'm tired of being called naive because I essentially believe in nonviolence. Uh-huh. Me too. Okay. I, I guess um, I just want to say that... Um, right, that's the question. No, I'll save all my answers for later. Most people have heard my answers to these questions. Uh, folks who haven't asked yet, Ruth? This was alluded to, but this is very specific about sacred arts. And about sacred arts? Sacred arts and physical, spiritual embodiment. 
Yeah. I studied a form of Sufism that is basically Sufi meditative yoga belly dance. <laughs> <laughs> Sufi meditative yoga belly dance. That should be all our religion, yeah. don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> What might be similar or relatable to that particular form, and I know people here might not know what that is, but to something in Judaism or something in Christianity, what might offer some similarities to that piece that I studied? Mm -hmm. And also from the other perspective, what might be similar or relatable in Islam or Sufism mm -hmm. or Christianity to what we might see as a Torah scribe mm -hmm. or to, to fill in maker? or the people mm -hmm. who we elevate to a, a spiritual embodiment of this religious art making that becomes part of our ritual work. And is there something similar to that in these other religions? Okay, so I, 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 I'm trying to follow, and I'm hearing it go in two different directions. And you may not have been saying this first one. The first one I'm hearing is, essentially, here in America, you can study Sufism, Sufi practice, you can study Kabbalah, you can study Christian mysticism without being grounded right. in that tradition's um, practices and uh, uh, knowledge. Um, or religious identity marker. Or even as an identity <laughs> marker. So that's one question. It's like, uh, is, or the, my, my question is, is that valid? Right? Is that, uh, that's a question I have as someone who's committed to my Jewish path. Uh, but again, because it's a free country now, I'm, um, I'm going to, I'm not, I don't, yeah, I'm not legislating. So, um, you don't want to kill those people. No, I don't. No, no, no. no not at all. No, no. Um, but the second one about, about embodied religious practice. That wasn't really my question. This was. Sacred this arts. Woman really, she um, studies Sufism. She is part of Sufi tradition. And she teaches this as part of her religion. But you didn't have to be a Sufi or a part of Islam. You could be any religious background or none at all to take that class. But the question really was, that was a spiritual, and, and I did it as a Jew going into this class. So I'm wondering what in Judaism or Christianity we might have that would be a similar format. Oh. But this particular one was about Yoga and Sufism and belly dance. It was a physical, spiritual knowledge. So, oh. is it what practices? Are like similar. Yeah. Chanting. Is it what practices can we share across our boundaries with each other? I'm wondering if there's a similar practice in Judaism. Okay. What kind of embodied practices are in? Right. Right. Okay. Thanks, Ruth. What kind of? Not a lot of embodied practices are in each tradition. Absolutely. And I think there was a, I also heard you say that, that there are specific artistic modes. Right. Oh, what well, kind of embodied right. practices? Right. And Oh, artistic right. practices. Okay. Right, right, like illuminated. Oh, right, like calligraphy and Islam and scribal arts and Judaism and illuminated manuscripts and Christianity. Just a question. Uh, I want to. I want to ask people who haven't had a chance to express a question yet first, and then we'll just keep going because. Uh, uh, yes. Not a question. A request. 
We request from each of the teachers a list of two or three books that we have other people reading. Oh, yes, yes. Okay. To a get to know list. our traditions? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You would recommend someone else to read. Reading list, short reading list. Okay, or Susan said a film. <laughs> or what? Or a film, or books or films. Oh, Movies. a short reading or film list. Okay. People who don't know anything. Film is good. <laughs> uh huh. Thank you. Great request. Great request. Yeah. Jerry. I just wanted to go back to Gail's paradigm about Islam 101. Yes. And just expand that to the uh, Christianity and Judaism. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Islam 101. Christianity uh, 101. Also, I guess I guess Matthew and I were thinking that because of the class we taught last winter, uh, we we had covered a lot of that ground, and we wanted to expand now. But we'll do our best. Yeah. Are the um, audio transcript? You know. Yeah, you can listen oh, to the right. audio from all the other courses. All the audio. I'll give you a link to where all the audio from our class is posted and you can listen to those and that would be thank you that's a good background yeah nevertheless i think a sort of quick and dirty version of each religion would be good a little 101 yeah, yeah good idea good idea dirty wonderful dirty. One, one yes okay and then harris after that okay kind of write this down please i'm glad you did okay. how does the primal fear of being disloyal to one's own religion and culture and the groundlessness that can happen from that fear of disloyalty prevent us from being open to another religion. Yes. So I'm glad you wrote it down. How? How does the primal fear of being disloyal to our religion of origins and cultural uh, identity prevent us from being open? in a heartfelt way to, to other Yeah, we have a history of using almost like marital metaphors that you're being, it's infidelity, you're being unfaithful if you somehow open to the other. Thank you. All oh, right, yeah, falling with the wrong crowd. Uh, uh, well, I haven't had a chance yet. Yeah, yes, yes. Hi, the one. What would you say to a young person who has uh, no tradition in their family, who has nothing, but has um, an open heart, a loving heart, and a relationship, a forming a relationship with God? Um, what would you say to that young person about religion? So in a way, spirituality and the next generation, and how do we transmit or not transmit our lineages, and yeah. How do we transmit our lineages? Right, and should we? Transmit our... No, that was a quote, that was from over here. Right, lineages. <laughs> Should we? That's my idea. It's still a good question. To. Wow. How do we transmit our lineages, and should we, to uh, uh, a 
Seeking. Right, right. How many, how many weeks is this course? <laughs> Five years. Yeah. Right, because some, some, some of these questions are, are not specific to the exploration of the tent of Abraham, right? They're like some big questions. I'm sure we'll touch on them. Thank you, Luana. Who else hasn't had a chance to express it for Miriam? Um, one big difference in, in these three religions is that Judaism is the one that's, that does not uh, proselytize. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But it used to do a lot of we that. We used to. We used, Judaism used to proselytize uh, extensively in the Roman Empire until it became the Holy Roman Empire and the, Christian, and the Christians outlawed Jewish proselytization. Oh, really? Oh, Chabad. Chabad? Chabad only proselytizes to other Jews. Um, so proselytization. Proselytization, important question. Um, uh, I'll just put it up there and it'll, like, it'll spark us. Thank you. Thank you. Blaise? I've been wrestling with this question on whether or it's even relevant for me to ask, but I guess I'll find out. <laughs> the question is, how can I make my culture, beliefs, religion, whatever, right, without making the other wrong, mm -hmm. and do I have to? Right, right. Um, uh, how can I validate my own tradition without invalidating others? What can be relativized? What must remain absolute? What must, you know, well, all and of then it's, and, then, and do I have to do that? Right. That's sort of the other half of that question. Um, and do I have to? My feeling about that after many years is that I don't have to. I can live my Jewish life without justification or, um, uh, you know, or, or making my, you know, showing that it's valid because I love it and let other people do what they love as long as we're not harming each other. Yeah. Yeah. Big question. Uh, uh, Desiree, and then, you know what? Then we're going to have to stop because, and you can email me more <laughs> thoughts and questions. I will send them, I will collate them, I'll send them to the other teachers. And we will cook. We'll let it cook and see what we come up with. And we'll have something for you at the next class. Um, who, who do I recognize? Was Me. Desiree. Oh, Desiree. Okay, so this is kind of life, but I would really like to know what are the life cycle traditions? How do you name your babies? What do you do when you're getting married? Is there a coming of age? How do you name your babies? Life cycle. Life, cycle. Life, cycle. Yeah. life cycle traditions from each stream. Life cycle traditions. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. gonna and food. Oh, and food. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. You were going to say food. Of course. And food. Okay, so oh, this, this is not. Oh, hi. Allison. Allison, uh, it, can, can we know who you are? Sure. I'm Allison. Part of the original, the Christian Jewish clergy 
Allison is, is um, church is down in, in, in Stone Ridge. Yeah. So I just had a quick I've heard about it from other people. It's at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and it's an exhibit on Jerusalem. How much longer is it running? It's January 8th. Okay. Oh, great. I'm going to go. Field trip. <laughs> Field trip, right. Okay, so here's my, because it's important that we end on time for everybody's schedules, um, and you don't have to rush off, by the way. Um, uh, first, I wanted to know if any of you wanted to share any uh, remarks uh, or anything you want to share about anything today, right, so far. You good? Oh, yeah? Okay. Um, this is the first time we've worked together, so we're going to, if we get to get to know each other, which I'm really thrilled about. Um, so then what, I, what I'd love to ask Rabia to do would be to share another uh, chant to close. Would, you, would that be good with you? Thank you. And just before that, you were going to give a link for people to link to the past classes. Oh. Um, and yeah, I don't think everybody's email is uh, on next, SoundCloud. Yeah, next week. Okay. If you go on SoundCloud and do a search for Rabbi Jonathan, you'll find it. And otherwise, SoundCloud.com, Rabbi Jonathan Kligler. Or if you go on the, the WJC Facebook page and scroll back to, they're all linked on there. Right, too. SoundCloud will be the best yeah, way. Okay. SoundCloud.com, and then search for my name. Uh, so um, thank you, everyone. Let's close with some uh, some vibrations. <laughs> so maybe we could do a, a something all together this time. Wonderful. Um, so in the Sufi tradition, there's 99 known names for God. Um, and then there's thousands of other names that we don't know. And one of the names is who, and it's basically like the divine essence, the divine breath. It's just who. I think in Hebrew it's... Yeah. the pronoun. Yeah. yeah. This is the, yeah. What's the oh, pronoun? Oh, the pronoun who? Oh, the pronoun means, who just means he. So that's, so it's, it's the same. Yes. So it's the same, mm -hmm. essentially. Allah, who. Yeah. yeah. So we can um, all chant, like, kind of with your breath, just and feel it in your body, the vibration.
She was just calling names of all the prophets. Oh, right. Just, yeah, calling in the, the prophets from, from Adam uh, to Muhammad. So I was just, and for each prophet in the Islamic tradition, there's kind of like an honorary name, like we say Abraham is the one that, uh, the friend of God, Moses, the one who spoke to God. So there's. I'll, uh, yeah, we'll I'll, learn more I'll about bring it. that in for you all. So you we'll learn more about it. Thank you. Thank you. So before you get up, we meet next week at 145 to 345. Here? We're staying here the whole time. This is home base. Um, I just want to wish you all that you can go in peace, that each in your own way maintain your equanimity in the face of the storms raging out there. And so that you can look people in the eye and enjoy the divine light that dwells within them. And uh, thank you for coming. Thank you.
having a having a woofer or something like that. Yes. Thank you. Is that what you call it in the big thing? What's the part the diaphragm is repeating? Yeah. That's a